I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 40, which along with Psalm 54 are the psalms appointed for today, Friday, April the 30th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green, and I'm thankful that you're along with me today. We're still in the book of Wisdom, the book of Colossians, and the Gospel of Luke as we work our way through this Easter season in in the Anglican world with Easter as a season, not a day. Uh, Easter begins on the day of Easter, but it continues all the way through Pentecost and includes the day of the Ascension, which is 40 days after the resurrection. So it's important that we look at the the teaching of Jesus and that we're, we're modeling ourselves after him. I mean, sometimes you can read these lessons and, and you can listen to me and think, well, John's just a scold. He, he doesn't have fun. He doesn't have whatever. No, that's not who I am. It's not who, who I desire to be. It's not who Jesus was, for one thing. But the other thing is, is that that we in the at least in the American church, I can't speak for all churches, but I do know something about the American church. We are rarely thinking very much about true discipleship and truly what does it mean to follow Him and to give our lives completely to Him as Lord and Master. It's not a terrible relationship. It's it's the thing that we're called to be because it was the thing we were created to be. And the problem is we live in a world that's fallen and it gives us all the wrong messages. It tells us to desire all the wrong things and it never sees beyond itself. And so it sees the day, the carpe diem mentality, which is what we're always going to have by default in this world unless we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, then that desire and that point and purpose and and passion in our lives should be changed. And we should be pointing to the rest of the world how it is to live and what it means to live and to be fully human. Which fully human is, is to live in the flesh by the power of the Holy Spirit, which transforms us into different kind of people. It transforms us into the kind of people we were created to be. And it certainly transforms us, should, into the kind of people Jesus redeemed us to be. There should be a marked difference between who we were before Jesus and who we are after Jesus. There should be a marked difference in what we're seeking after, where we're putting all our energy before and after him. And we can say, and I've heard this said once before, I heard somebody saying. Um, they, they got caught up in a sin in a public way, and then they were called before the congregation to sort of give an account of that and to make a public repentance. But the way that it was stated was, I got so busy with the Lord's work that I forgot to take care of myself. It's easy to do when you're a pastor. It's easy to do when you're anything or anybody because you can ascribe the work to the Lord and consider the work more important. But the reality is, is that in all things... The outcome is up to him. It's not dependent on your work. And the world wants to tell you that it is because it wants you to be consumed by and consumed with everything else other than his glory. 
And so we will immerse ourselves in work that we consider to be God's work. So to the extent that we neglect our families, that we neglect him, we neglect our fellowship with him. We, we get so involved in the activity and the work that we consider to be his work and the, his activity that we forget even about the relationship was the primary thing. And the work can go hang itself for a period of time if it needs to. But you've got to get your priorities right. And you've got to begin with him, time with him, fellowship with him, and a relationship with him. And that's exactly what what is argued in all of these lessons that we're going to look at today. And that is in that wisdom uh, passage there, he's speaking specifically of wisdom. Wisdom is glorious and never fadeth away. Yes, she is easily seen of them that love her and found of such as seek her. So what are you seeking? You know, that's the point is if you, Solomon's saying, I promise you this, if you seek after wisdom, you'll find her. And to the extent that you're not finding her, you're not seeking Whoso seeketh her early shall have no great travail, for he'll surely find her sitting at his doors. To think, therefore, upon her is perfection of wisdom, and whoso watcheth for her shall be quickly without care. I mean, if you, if you want to live a life, carefree life, a life free of care, then he, Solomon says just seek wisdom, because then you'll know what to do in all things. And the way we find wisdom is prayer and in the Word of God. And we find wisdom when we allow ourselves to be led and guided by the Holy Spirit. He says, she, she, wisdom, goes about seeking such as are worthy of her, showing herself favorably unto them in the ways, and meets them in every thought. For the very true beginning of her is the desire of discipline. Here we are going, it's going into a very logical argument. So it's an A, B, B, C, C, D kind of thing and then wraps back around so he says for the very true beginning of her wisdom is the desire of discipline in other words i want to live a disciplined life benjamin franklin kept a list of the things that that he wanted to see in his life the traits he wanted to see in his life and he marked himself and graded himself on a regular basis as to how he was doing in the pursuit of those things i mean that's the kind of discipline i think we we need in our lives is how we progressing in in things of of god and there's a way to mark those things. And the only way to progress in those things is to spend time with him and in his word. If you're not, then you're losing ground. You're becoming less and less like him the less time you spend with him. That's the honest truth. There's no other way around it. He says, so, so the, and the care of discipline is love. And love is the keeping of her laws. So in other words, doing what she, if you want wisdom and wisdom has laws, then the pursuit of wisdom then necessarily entails the keeping of the laws of wisdom. And you do that for love. You prove how much you love wisdom by keeping her laws. And the giving heed unto her laws is the assurance of incorruption. In other words, it changes your life. And incorruption makes us nearer unto God. Therefore, the desire of wisdom brings to a kingdom. If you truly desire wisdom, he says, you'll find it. And the desire for wisdom is a desire for dis- discipline, changing your life. It's, it's the, the reality that my life is spinning out of control, and I need something to bring that into control. And that's where wisdom comes in. And then the keeping of that becomes a thing that changes our lives. And it draws us nearer to him, and therefore it draws us nearer to the kingdom. Pursue these things first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you, Matthew says, Jesus says in the gospel. And that's exactly what he's saying. He said, if you delight then, be in thrones and scepters, O ye kings of the people, then honor wisdom. 
that you may reign forevermore. So if this is what you want, then desire truly honor wisdom because that's the way you get a kingdom. And he's very clear with that. And then he ends it up with, neither will I go with consuming envy for such a man shall have no fellowship with wisdom. And that's an interesting statement, but it's also a statement that we'll see again in a couple of minutes when we look at the epistle for today. But first, we've got to go to Luke. We've got to go to the gospel and see what does Jesus have to say about these things. What is it that we should be pursuing, he says. And so what we see is, first, we, we get a story. And Jesus is back in Capernaum, which is where he spends a lot of his ministry time sort of betwixt and between, in other words, betwixt uh, and between Galilee, or not Galilee, but um, Nazareth and and Jerusalem. These are the boundaries of the kingdom. He's staying up in that northern area. And so he's at Capernaum, and the centurion, who was a Roman soldier, over 100 men, had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, and he was highly valued by, the, by him. This sounds a little bit, to be honest with you, like Naaman's story. He had a valuable servant as well. And so the the centurion hears about Jesus and he sent to him elders of the Jews who asked him to come and heal his servant. And when those elders of the Jews came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him. Well, you're going to have to qualify. Why is he worthy? Well, he's worthy, they say, because he loves our nation and he's the one who built our synagogue. So it's cool. He's good to us. He loves Israel. He doesn't hate us. And he built our kingdom, or built our synagogue, and Jesus went with him. But when he was not far from the house, though, the centurion sent friends saying to him. So first he sends the elders of the Jews, and then he sends friends to Jesus who say, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I, too, am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, I believe, Jesus, that you you have the authority to speak to disease, the disease that's in my servant. If you just speak that word, you don't even have to come to me. They think I'm worthy. I'm telling you, I'm not worthy even for you to come under my roof. Not only that, he's sending friends to Jesus. He's not even worthy to meet with Jesus. And he's sending them with this message about his servant, and he, he's pleading for the life of his servant in this. We don't know whether that servant's Jewish or what, but Jesus hears these things. He marvels at him and turns to the crowd that followed him and says, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found his servant well. So what Jesus is saying is, is that you said he was worthy because he loved the nation. He built the synagogue. He says he's not worthy at all which honors Jesus. He doesn't even have to tell him why he's not worthy. But Jesus says, I've never seen such faith like this, even in Israel. In other words, he's worthy for a servant to be healed, not because of anything you said, but because of his faith, a faith that I've not seen anywhere else. And then after that, he goes to Nain, and he, as they're, they're carrying a man who, is, who has died, being carried out. This is not a funeral beer or whatever. And so... it's not what's, there is a beer there, but but this is not like Lazarus. He's not been dead as long as Lazarus has because they wouldn't be burying him if he were. So he sees them coming out and knows that this is the only son of his mother who is also a widow. And Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Does that sound like a man who doesn't have compassion? (laughs) I mean, to, to look at a mother 
a widow who is grieving the loss of her only son and say, do not weep, doesn't sound like a compassionate thing to say to her. It sounds like he's telling her, you know, be quiet. But that's not what happens because then he came up and he touched the beer. In other words, he touched the the thing they were carrying him on. The bearer stood still. Mm -hmm, Because you ain't supposed to touch that. They're going to be defiled by that contact already. But they've accepted that responsibility and the price that goes along with it in carrying this dead body. And then Jesus comes and touches it as well. Again, it's the same as touching a leper. And the question then becomes, based on the story we just read about the centurion, did he have to touch that? No, he didn't have to, but he did. And then he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And then fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report spread about him throughout the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. It doesn't sound like it's moving down towards Jerusalem, but it's all in that area up there in the Judean area. But but Jesus is doing things that are provocative, but he's doing things that are powerful. There was nobody at that in that funeral procession that had the, the faith that the centurion did. Nobody thought that. He was going to be able to bring him back from the dead, and then he did. As I said, it's not the same as Lazarus, because if, if it were the same as Lazarus, he would already be in the tomb. So they have not yet given up hope that this one could come back to life. It's possible at that point that he could come back to life because it hasn't been long enough that they've felt the need to put him in the tomb. So it had the three days after the death haven't occurred yet. Still an incredibly powerful miracle. But again, this is all about what are you seeking? You know, are you seeking after Jesus? Fear sees them all. This centurion seeks after Jesus. He, he knows there's only one answer to his problem, and it's the same answer that Suzanne and I have been uh, leaning on for the last month and a half at this point is is that that we knew that Jesus was was capable of doing a miracle and saving our son and so we went to him you know we were happy to be at the hospital and happy to have doctors there but the doctors were baffled a good percentage of the time we were there to be perfectly honest with you they diagnosed phantom problems he has a pulmonary embolism except he doesn't have a pulmonary embolism he has pneumonia except well he doesn't have pneumonia either and there were other times when they they said oh he's got this and then he didn't have that and so they were never quite sure what they were doing they were treating problems that didn't exist and finally the treatment ended up just being rest and allowed jesus to do the work of healing because he was a creator paul points into this same situation and says just just seek after jesus he i mean he's very clear he says but christ is in all is all and in all period end of sentence that's that's all you need to worry about here and he he goes through this whole thing and says if you've been raised with christ seek the things that are above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your minds on things that are above not on things that are of the earth those things might have value, and they might have kingdom value, but they're not ultimate. If your life's demanded of you tomorrow, is the way you spent today any kind of proof that you honored him above all things? Did you spend time with him, or did you spend time doing the work you think he gave you to do? That's a problem for all of us, particularly anybody who's in ministry. And ministry can be defined in a million different ways, and we can set our ministry above him as well, but we can set our work above him as well, also and he says no set your minds on things are above and the proof of whether you're doing that or not is whether you're spending time with him on a daily basis he says you've died 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When he who is your life appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. And then he says, so put to death whatever's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And that's what Solomon had said earlier, I go, neither will I go with consuming envy, for such a man shall have no fellowship with wisdom. You're pursuing what somebody else has. If, if you're covetous, you're pursuing what somebody else has, then that's your idol. So what idol is God exposing to you in your life today? And it's exposed by the way we spend our time, our money, and every other resource that we have. What do we consider most important? And it's easy to identify in almost anybody's life. I had a business partner one time who said the most important thing in his life was family. Well, except for the fact that um, he only saw his family for a few minutes in the morning, and then he went to work and spent the day gone, and then his kids got out of school. They went to their, their mother's dance studio, and after... Uh, after work, he would typically try and find either a ball game to go to with, with friends, clients, or whatever, or go to dinner, and then he might see him again for another 30 minutes on in the evening. Uh, so I confronted him one time and said, nobody would absolutely, if you looked at your schedule, nobody would believe your family is the most important thing. He said, well, I'm providing for them in all that I do. I'm trying to make all this money, in, but that's not making them the most important thing. That's not how you make something important. What's important is what you spend time with. And so he says, put away all those kinds of things because that's all the wrath of God is coming against that stuff. He says, so, so put all that stuff away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Just get rid of all of that stuff. Don't lie to one another. See, you put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. And that's all you need to care about and all you need to worry about. It's not difficult, and it's not difficult to identify what our true gods are.